chapter 11 tonight. Chapter 11 is said to be the most difficult chapter in the book of Revelation, and some say one of the most difficult in all the Bible. But with God being our teacher, the Holy Spirit is no more difficult than any other chapter. You just rely upon the Lord to help instruct you and enlighten you, and we'll do fine. The chapter, as you perhaps already know, uh, is divided into, some say two, but I say three parts, and um, we'll look at each part as we go through. The first part is the one that's neglected to be noticed, and that is the one of the measuring rod. And it's a very important lesson in here. It covers just verses 1 and 2. As you recall, this is still the parenthesis section began in chapter 10, and it go through chapter 14 with the exception that at the end of this chapter, we have more or less a continuation of the main narrative. We have the seventh trumpet. That's only about five verses. And then we're going right back into like a parenthesis, which will give us additional information about the tribulation time. The uh, terms in this chapter, some of the chapters have a lot of... Um, figurative language, but it's identified as so. You cannot say, well, that's spiritualized, this part. No. The scripture will say, as it is, or as it was, or uh, likened to, or something like that. That tells you that it's not a literal meaning, but it's giving you the, the meaning and not the actual word, okay? So let's begin in verse number 1. We're in chapter number 11, and uh, it says, There were, there were, excuse me, and there was given me a reed likened to a rod, and the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, and the altar, and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall be tread, down, uh, tread underfoot forty and two months. Now, when you read commentaries on this chapter or any of the chapters, you'll find different opinions and different understandings, and, and uh, a lot of those are good men and good writings, and and uh, and one sense, a section I'll agree with the guy, and the next section I'll disagree, and and uh, so will others. There are many who hold the position that this measuring and the section that follows the two witnesses are the second half of the tribulation. I do not hold that position. I believe it's at the first half, and uh, the reason being, of course, there's more freedom. The, the uh, temple 
Ezekiel's temple is what it is, will actually be in existence during the tribulation time. In fact, there's no reason why it could not be partially, if not wholly, constructed before the tribulation, before the rapture. Uh, but uh, it will be in operation during the tribulation time, and they'll have a, uh, a series of priests uh, functioning and offering all, uh, sacrifices and so forth. And you will read that throughout uh, the scriptures, whether it be another prophetical passage or here <coughs> in Revelation. <coughs> so I do hold that this is in the first part, and uh, that being because the temple was in use and more so in the first part, because we know at the middle of the tribulation is when the Antichrist sets himself up to be worshipped and becomes the dictator uh, for the last three and a half years. And so there's more uh, use here, okay? Now, let's look at this closely. It says, it was given to him a reed likened to a rod. Uh, this reed is very similar to our bamboo. Uh, our property in Arkansas had bamboo on it. And, um, of course, bamboo uh, is lightweight, but it's strong it's, and it's very rigid. In fact, they make flooring out of it, furniture out of it, make all kinds of stuff out of bamboo today. And I'm afraid I'm going to fall on my face. That's why I keep squirming around up here. But, uh, uh, no, I'm going to try to get, I mentioned to our Sunday school teacher, I've, I've got a little bit better stool than this at the house, and maybe I'll bring it out, and then we'll try to find, I get used stuff from time to time and, and get one that has, I like them with my hands on them. <laughs> I ride that thing, you know. <laughs> All right. So, um. I was saying that this rod that's mentioned here is similar to a, a bamboo. This is a common rod that grows, or, or, or um, as it's a reed, that grows in the Jordan Valley, very common in that day, and it was often used for measuring. They would take the rod and cut it in a 10-foot section and use that to measure. They didn't have the ruler like we have today then, but they did measure uh, things. Here, they're given this rod in order to measure. I want you to notice what it is that they are to measure. They're measured the temple of God. And when it says temple of God, that's referring to the holy of holies and the holy place. Not the outer court or not the Gentile uh, section. It says that clearly later. But uh, just the holy and holy places and this, this is very Jewish now, and this chapter is, is uh, very much Jewish in its uh, term and, and its wording and its meaning, and because it's for the Jews. Uh, this, the tribulation is a time when the Jews are on the front burner. Uh, they're the ones that people uh, are being told something about. So they're to measure the temple of God and the altar this would be the brazen altar. This is outside of the uh, inner court. The, the um, altar of incense was inside. This is the outside, but this is where the priest, and only the priest, could uh, 
offer sacrifices on this altar. And then notice it says, and them that worship therein. So God doesn't only want to measure the facilities, but he wants to measure the worshipers, those who are worshiping. And we see here John now, too, is taking a new position. He's not just uh, uh, giving us the, the message that God has given to him, but he is partaking in it. He is doing this measuring. And it says in verse 2, But the court which is without uh, the temple, leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty in two months. That's three and a half years. And uh, that's true. Now, some people say, well, uh, I don't see how uh, this would be the first half because we're going to see that these witnesses coming up are, are protected and uh, they wouldn't have to have protection. Don't you think they need protection? You look at Israel today. huh? Uh, the world hates God and it hates the people of God. And uh, you mark it down, uh, it, it's been hard on the Jews since Abraham's day, and it's going to be hard right on up through the tribulation period. And so uh, today, uh, I, independent Baptists are beginning to feel a little bit of chastisement in this country. And uh, other countries even more so. Uh, some even having their life taken uh, because they hold a Christian position. Well, uh, they need God's hand. They need God's protection. And God is going to protect them. Now, uh, I've left my notes entirely because I don't think we're going to have time to, to give you all that I have planned. I do study. I, have, I study for a week each week for this and I have notes and marked it and had all kinds of good stuff I wanted to give you but I want to respect that time and it's right now quarter till seven so that means a quarter of my time is gone. Let's move into the next section and verse three down through verse six and this actually goes on down through verse 10 but we're going to take it in two pieces and verse three says and I will give power unto my Two witnesses. Now mark it down, they're God's witnesses. Another thing, you remember this, the, the tribulation starts out with all people lost. The millennial is going to start out with all people saved. I mean in the natural body here on earth. But the residents of this world during the tribulation begin with all people lost. In chapter 7, we saw that God has 144,000 missionaries, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes, uh, which will uh, do the mission work throughout the world. And now here we have two more, you could call them missionaries. Um, God calls them his witnesses. Uh, but uh, uh, these are two witnesses that God has raised up. Uh, he's had to raise them up because there was none here uh, to, uh, for him to uh, uh, challenge to do his work. And I will give power unto my two witnesses and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. That time period, those days 
if you figured it up, comes up to that same three and a half year period. They're going to prophesy. Their ministry is going to be for three and a half years. Now the ministry of the 144,000 begins at the beginning of the tribulation and runs throughout to the very end of the tribulation. They have a seal of God, the missionaries have a seal of God that they cannot be murdered or taken, uh, 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 you know, killed in any way during that time. They have to have that. These two missionaries, of course, have special powers also. Let's go on. Verse 4. Uh, these are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. Of the, earth. Uh, the book of Zechariah uh, is a very uh, good passage that gives you information here. In fact, I think I have a scripture uh, somewhere. I don't know if I, well, I won't catch it. I'm not going to waste time. But anyhow, uh, the book of Zechariah talks about Joshua and Jerubbabel uh, being two olive trees and having a light and having a ministry. Of course, he's the one that uh, rebuilt the temple in that day. That temple that was built in Joshua's day is the temple that the um, uh, Antigas Epiphanes, who was the type of the Antichrist, uh, the history of the Maccabees, an extra-biblical writing, the first and second book of Maccabees is not inspired, but they are good historical books. And it tells us about uh, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes. But Daniel also gives us information in chapter 8 uh, uh, about that period of time. But the, the uh, temple at that time is going to be desecrated when Antiochus Epiphanes offers a pig on the altar and so forth. And he was a type of the Antichrist. And that was back in 167 B.C. That's, that's back a good, a good many years before. But anyhow, uh, there are two olive trees. These are the two witnesses and the two candlesticks standing before God. Uh, they're, they're empowered. They're representative of the Holy Spirit. And they're giving light. They're the light of the gospel today that we give the same message, the same messenger of God. We today are to be missionaries throughout all the world. And today the reason they don't have a temple, that we are the temple of God. We who are saved have the Spirit of God living in us, and we are the temple of God. But uh, during the Old Testament and during the tribulation, they'll have a, a temple that God will um, sanction and, and, and bless, in other words, and have uh, instruction to, and this is the temple that we call Ezekiel's temple uh, during this time. And these are the two olive trees, okay? Verse 5, And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth, and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. So these men have some pretty good power. Pretty good power. We're going to tell you in a, a few minutes uh, or, or about these two men. And um, one thing I'm going to tell you right now, you don't be dogmatic as you tell me who these two men are. God leaves them in obscurity. And, you know, uh, God, if he wanted us to know, he'd have put their name here. Okay? Now, we can 
and I have and others have done studies and they have tried to identify these two uh, uh, witnesses. Uh, now, uh, this, um, this is not always a good thing to do, uh, but uh, we are natural to lean that way. In other words, uh, when it says two witnesses, we want to find out who the two are. We want to nail it down, okay? Well, some believe that it was Enoch and Elijah. Some, let's back it up a minute. Some actually believe it's Israel and the church or uh, the, the scriptures and the, and the church and all that. These are two people. This can't be the church or Israel or, or the word of God or anything like that. These are representative, these are two people that are raised up witnesses here, flesh and blood here on this earth with spatial power that they can spit fire out of their mouth and consume those who would uh, do them harm. Now, some say, as I said, Enoch and Elijah, uh, because these two haven't died. And that's their big strength. I don't hold with that. <laughs> you say, well, why we? Elijah, I, I, I take that. In fact, most uh, theories have Elijah as one of them. Okay, and I certainly agree of Elijah, but Enoch, no. Enoch was a Gentile for one thing. <coughs> this is Jewish. Enoch was a Gentile. He's before Abraham. He's before the flood, okay? And so I don't believe it was Enoch. I believe if you have to satisfy yourself, your curiosity, I would suggest that it would be uh, Elijah, and Moses. Now, the reason being, they were the two that appeared with Christ at, in the, on the Mount of Transfiguration in John chapter 17, I think it is. And uh, that was a, a, pre, uh, a preview, you might say, of the uh, time when Christ comes back at the end of the tribulation. They were the two that appeared there. The miracles that we're going to see that they performed can be also identified with these two men, Elijah and Moses. And uh, let's go on, verse 14. Uh, no, not, no, not that far. Uh, verse 5. Okay, and if any man will hurt them, uh, there proceeded the, out of their mouth uh, and devour their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he uh, must in this manner be killed. In verse 6, these uh, have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. It says it was going to be for three and a half years, right? You remember Elijah in the Old Testament, three and a half years, he didn't have, he didn't have rain, okay? And they'll have power uh, to uh, over the waters to turn them into blood. You remember the plagues in Egypt uh, where uh, Moses was the leader then? And to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. I mean, you can see why uh, if you had two witnesses with this kind of power today, the world would like to kill them. 
It doesn't have to be in the end of the tribulation. I, I believe these men are witnesses in the first half, and you go, we go on, you'll see why. Uh, I keep losing my... Verse 7, And when they shall have finished their testimony, notice that, finished their testimony. In other words, their ministry was finished. When Paul's ministry was finished, they cut his head off. When John the Baptist's ministry was finished, they cut his head off. I mean, this world is not our friend. This world is not our home. And if you try to make it your home, you're going to be in trouble. And, and uh, when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast, this, this person is going to be called the beast 20 times, and this is the first time in the book of Revelation he's mentioned. The beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them. Of course, we know who lives in the bottomless pit. That's Satan. This beast here is representative of Satan. And before I would miss it, I want to I want to tell you, Satan in the in the Bible we have the Trinity: God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Well, there is a satanic trinity as well. There's the beast of the bottomless pit, that's Satan. There's the beast of the uh, sea, that's the Antichrist. And, and that's in chapter 13, a couple chapters from now. And then there's the beast of the land, that's the false prophet. These are the satanic trinity. And uh, think of it that way, it will help you remember something about them. Okay, now, I keep wanting to go over to that verse 15, but I'm over here in verse uh, number 7. So he comes out of the bottomless pit, and he shall make war against them, that's the two witnesses, and shall overcome them and kill them. Kill them. Hmm. He's a messenger of God, and they're killed can spit fire out of their mouth and all that, and this beast kills them. That's right. God said it. There's a reason for it. This world, again, is not our home, folks. We look at death as a terrible thing. Death is a promotion day. For the Christian, it's a much better place that you go to. And uh, we should not dread death. But in any case, he kills them. And now notice verse 8, and, and their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which is, and let's stop right there. This is Jerusalem they're talking about, but they have a special name for it here. And there's, that tells you a lot about somebody by their name. Okay? But their bodies, that is showing disrespect. When they murder, those people over there who slaughtering those people in Israel today, leaving their bodies just scattered here and there. You ever hear of such meanness and rottenness? Man can do just about anything you can imagine. And the, and the guy said, well, uh, what's wrong with their heart? I'll tell you what's wrong with their heart. Same as with your heart. The heart, the Bible says, is wicked. You can't go by your heart, your feelings, or what you think, or what you think in your heart. It's 
some people say, well, I just believe in my heart that it wouldn't be that way. Well, do you, don't you trust your heart? Now, if you say, I don't believe according to the Word of God, then, then I'll listen to what you have to say. Because the word, the word of God makes no mistakes. Okay? And these dead bodies shall lie in the streets of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom in Egypt. You know what Sodom was like? A terrible sin of sodomy and Egypt. Egypt is is uh, is representative of the world. That's what they're they're known for their immorality and their worldly ways. We're also we're also the Lord was crucified. So you know where where this is at. He's murdered in Jerusalem. That was their mission field. As far as we know, they didn't leave Jerusalem. Their ministry was right there. And uh, people got tired of hearing him. You know, this false church is in existence and goes into the tribulation. Like that Laodicean church we studied about. It goes into the tribulation time. And the Antichrist, of course, the first three and a half years makes a false peace even with Israel. And there's a, a harmony. Uh, like, you know, the uh, World Council of Churches will be in effect. And the false Christian churches and the phony uh, Jewish church, when God measures them, he finds out that none of them measured up. That measuring rod was 10 foot. No one's near that. <laughs> that kind of shows you how man comes out. He wants to, he wants to control the worship, the, the facility of worship and the worshipers. He's, he's concerned about that. But he, he kills them, murders them. And in verse, uh, I guess it's number eight. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city. I covered that. Okay, verse nine. And they, uh, they of the people and kindred and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half. Three and a half days. Like Lazarus was in that tomb. He was just in there overnight. He was in there three and a half or four days. Or he was in there for a long time, enough to begin to decompose, to rot. They said about Lazarus, they said, oh, who in there? He stinketh. By this time, he stinketh. He's rotten. He's, he's deteriorated. These bodies lay in the street three and a half days, beginning to rot. The smell of a dead body is, is something you don't forget. And, and, uh, but not just there in Jerusalem are they seeing this. It says every nation all around the world. When I first started a teaching in the book of Revelation about 50 years ago, and uh, this section here, we just had to take by faith because there was nothing at that time would ever tell us 
that like today, when they're slaughtering those people in Israel, you can see the up-to-date time from Israel here. That's the way it's going to be. They have televisions and that today that you can give you instant coverage worldwide. And so today it's, it's self-evident. In my day, it took some faith when I started teaching because you'd have to say, well, somehow God's going to make it. But the whole world, believe me, the whole world is going to see it. It's not going to be done in a secret. And it's going to be done to where all will see him laying there. They'll have that camera on them just like this war's been in the fifth or sixth day now. And that's all they have on the news. Same pictures over and over and over and again. That's just like this. They're just going to see those bodies. I mean, this is, this is something that's happened here. Now look at verse 10. And they that dwell upon the earth, that's a, a, a phrase that's used to uh, denote people who have their life, their whole being tied up in this world. They live for the world. They live in the world and they're of the world. These are lost people. And they shall rejoice over them. I mean, they're like they were, I saw those films over and over again today and yesterday and the day before. And, and how those people celebrating, cutting heads off of little babies, murdering people, women and grandparents and just anybody and everybody. And then celebrating, walking around strutting their stuff as we say. That they that dwell upon the earth, they rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another. Because these two prophets uh, tormented them that dwelleth on the earth. They were sick and tired of these guys. Having no rain and turning the water into blood and causing all these plagues and people dying by their fire coming out of their mouth. Uh, they were fed up. They couldn't do anything about it. But because they were got under God's power, that's why they couldn't do anything about it. And, and so here they are celebrating. This is what we call the devil's Christmas. You ever hear that? That's what that is. Look what he do. Just like today, uh, people celebrate Christmas in a very similar way. They have Mary sing songs about Mary happiness and joy to the world and, and they give gifts one to another. We do that to celebrate the birth of Christ. They do it to celebrate the death of God's witnesses. That's this world. That's this world. That's how this world is that you live in. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God, that's where life comes from. Scientists always talking about creating life. They haven't created life, never will create life. God gives life. No, not man. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. I mean, they were shocked. 
I mean, you know, Lazarus was a walking miracle. You know, on the day that Christ went into Jerusalem uh, on the Palm Sunday, great crowds. Did you know that many of them were there not to see Christ? They wanted to see Lazarus. They wanted to see that guy was dead and now is alive. He was a walking miracle. All the Jews hated him. Yes, they did. But they stood on his feet and great fear fell upon them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. Like in in chapter 4 when he tells the church, Come on up. Come on up. Come on home. Come on home. Your ministry's over. Your, your testimony is effective. Revival in that community had stirred. That's why I believe this was in the first half. I can't picture this with all the terrible judgments and everything going on and, and the Antichrist reigning as a dictator. Uh, he has defeated Russia. He's defeated China. He's defeated all that communist countries that come against him. Uh, the two million off, uh, army, the Antichrist in the middle, God gives him the victory, of course. But the Antichrist defeats him. That's when he sets himself up. He had to be somewhat of a politician the first three and a half years. But then when he had defeated Russia and that 200 million army out of China, really they were communists. That's who, the, who, would, who you could identify all of them together. They, they were defeated. Then he had no one to challenge him. And he knew it. He kills this, these two witnesses. This is when it happens. This beast appears and slays them. And God raises them back to life. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies beheld them. Like in Acts, when Christ, after his 40 days of ministry, after the resurrection, his post, what's called post-resurrection ministry, 40 days, at the, he, there in Acts chapter 1, they read about how that he was caught up. And they watched him go up in the cloud. They watched these two go up in the cloud. Isn't that amazing? And verse 13, in the same hour was there a great earthquake, and the temple part of this, and the tenth part of the city fell, and in the earthquake were slain over, uh, a slain of men 7,000, and the remnant were uh, affrighted and gave glory to to the God of heaven. Earthquakes happened at Christ's death and at his resurrection. Earthquakes happened here. This isn't the earthquake we read about at the end of the trumpet and the vows and the, and the bold judgments. But this is a, a, a literal earthquake that happened in Jerusalem. And it killed 7,000 men. And the way that is phrased here, these men are believed to have been men of renown. Perhaps uh, the Antichrist 
head counsel. I don't know how you say it. But they were men of renown. They were 7,000 of them killed. And, uh, and then they gave glory to the God of heaven. They were not saved. They made a profession. You know, they had what they called a shirt sleeve religion. They quick to cry and quick to, quick to dry. That's what we used to say, you know. Some of them, but, uh, they get saved and you see them for a week or maybe two and that's the end of it. Well, they were fearful. They feared God. But there was a revival. And I believe there was a lot of Jewish people converted here uh, at this time. The next verse says, the second woe is past. Now, this verse is connected more to the seventh trumpet like an introduction than it is to the two witnesses. Okay? So let's look at this section. Wow. Uh, yeah, I got time. Okay, the, the second woe is past, and uh, behold, the third woe cometh quickly. These woes are the woe judgments. You recall the last three judgments, the last three trumpet judgments are called woe judgments because of their severity. I said, and I gave you the chart that showed you the telescope, how that this seventh trumpet, along with the seventh vial, is, coincides with the sixth seal. If you read that sixth seal, and read the seventh trumpet, and then over in chapter 16, read the seventh uh, uh, vial, you'll see that it's talking about the same time. Let's just read it. Verse 15. And the seventh angel sounded, and there was a great voice in heaven saying, Let's listen, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Sounds like it's over, doesn't it? This, this is the end, talking here, the first part of this chapter, we were talking about the first part of the tribulation, and then with the Antichrist killing, the, the uh, witnesses brought that ministry to a close, that ended the three and a half years, and now this talks about the very end of the tribulation. That's how some folks have so much trouble in the book of Revelation. They try to read it like a, a novel and, and just um, don't allow it to speak to you and, and, and look at each section individually and see uh, what it is. It's like really three little books right here in this one chapter. But it says that the angel sounded and there was great voice in heaven and the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of our Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. And that's talking about not only the millennial reign of Christ, but that actually gets into eternity when he shall, he shall reign forever and ever. The millennial is a thousand years. It's not forever and ever. It's a thousand years. And the ever and ever is talking about chapter 21 and 22 at the end of the book when we get there. Uh, the eternal state. But here is it, it's all brought before us. In verse 16, 
and the four and twenty elders, this is in heaven now, which sat before God on his seat, on their seats, their little thrones around the throne, you remember we covered that, fell upon their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord Almighty, which art and wast and, and art to come, because thou hast taken uh, to thee thy great power and hast reigned. Again, it's talking about the end of the tribulation. And that's what this seventh trumpet is. It is the end, the same as the seventh vow. But they're not one and then a long period, another and then a, no, it's just like a boxer, a one, two, three punch. That's what it is. A one, two, three punch. <coughs> the sixth seal, the seventh trumpet, and the seventh file. And the terminology is always talking about the end time, the end time of the tribulation. Now, saying, we give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, Twice in this verse, it speaks of the power of God. The word almighty, uh, of course, speaks of God uh, being all-powerful, his omnipotence. And then uh, great power is his omniscience, his knowledge, his ability to, to carry out his will. And verse 18, and the nations were angry. Here's something good here. And the nations were angry. That's the people of the world, and the wrath and thy wrath and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead, and they should be judged, and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear the name, thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. Uh, now, we need to look at this closely because there's a lot in that verse, and it's a long verse. And the nations were angry. Well, they were, they, they were, their wrath was up. God's judged them. The fear has gone now, and now they're mad as what's going on. Okay? And the time of the dead, that they should be judged in Daniel chapter 12. And verses 1 or 2 talks about this judgment. This is a judgment at the end of the tribulation of both righteous and unrighteous, saved and non-saved. It says here, now notice, and they, they should be judged in that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and, and stop there a minute, those are the righteous. This is the end of the tribulation time. All those people that died during that time, there's a resurrection. And it, this includes, by the way, the Old Testament saints as well, because as I said, the fifth dispensation is the carrying out of the sixth, or, or the uh, uh, fifth rather, in the Old Testament, and then you have the, the age of the church, but this seven years is back under the fifth dispensation and the resurrection of the righteous. Now, both those who are 
alive and dead are judged. Those who are alive and are righteous, and in Matthew chapter 25, you have the judgment of the nations. That's talking about that here. And when the judgment of the nations come, the, the sheep nations, those who are godly people, and in the natural body, who lived through the tribulation time, or at least the end of it, they, they were alive at the end of the tribulation, and they went into the millennial in a natural body. Remember this, everybody that begins the millennial are saved. Everybody that begins the tribulation are lost. Okay? Now the saved are in natural bodies. Anybody in a natural body needs to come to a point where they accept Christ as their Savior or they're going to die and go to hell. And they can put on a, a hypocritical face and live the life of a hypocrite and have everybody thinking they're saved. There'll be a lot of those during the tribulation, I believe. But at the very end, when Satan is loose, but just a short time, about five verses are given to it in chapter uh, 20, I think or 19 or 20. And when he's given that freedom for uh, just a short time, he's able to gather a great throng of followers to again go against Christ. And that's the end of it. That's when Satan is cast into not the bottomless pit, but is cast into the lake of fire where it says the beast and the false prophet are because we're going to see they're cast in at the end of the tribulation. He's cast in at the end of the millennial. And where they are still at, it says, they've been there a thousand years and they see their leader coming to, be, to join them. Okay. So let's, let's notice this. And now it says, and, the, and shouldest, um, okay. And shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. Those are the unjust. They're going to go into hell, not the lake of fire, hell. And, and we get to chapter 20, we're going to read about the great white throne judgment where hell is called up for their final verdict. Hell is like the county jail. The lake of fire is eternity. You don't come back from the lake of fire. That's a one-way ticket. And that's what happens to them. Now, we'll get down to verse number 19, and that is really part of chapter 12. We're not going to cover that because uh, this is another one of those places in our Bible where the chapter division really could be a little bit better pronounced. And um, uh, the temple of God that was opened here in heaven in verse 19 is actually part of the narrative contained in chapter 12. Now I'll take, I have my hearing aids on so I can hear uh, tonight. Maybe some of you might have a question. This is a very difficult passage. Keep the time element right. Uh, I'd say maybe the majority, a great number of uh, Bible scholars believe that what I presented in the measuring and in the two witnesses occur in the second half. I do not believe that. And I've tried to explain it as I went through there, the reason why. 
I believe that the second witnesses were effective in their witness. I think they had a great revival and a great reward of their, their ministry within Jerusalem. And they, uh, they were hated, I know that. The whole world hated them. He, they didn't, uh, they, although their ministry was in Jerusalem, they were world renowned with the communication systems and so forth and all that he, they were doing. I'm sure that the 144,000 loved to get those reports uh, for those first six, uh, two and a half years. Uh, say, hey, we got somebody else that's doing the same thing and, and, and we're, we're winning the game here. I think they're happy with that. I keep looking over there because right above your head is that fire extinguisher on the side. My peripheral vision looks like you have your hand up. So, so Roger, I had my eye on you all night. 